Someone said to me today, um, the Catholic Church has something to say about everything. And I was like, yeah, 2,000 <laughs> years, you know, somebody has written something fabulous and said it in a brilliant way. And, and you know, when they talk about the Catholic Church as the fullness of truth, I think um, it's one of the things that we're going to talk about, um, you know, why be Catholic as we move ahead. But when that, the church is the fullness of truth. And, and it's not that there isn't truth in other religions. There absolutely is. But the Catholic Church has this, has, is this bark, you know, this boat traveling through the centuries, keeping it all together for, for everyone. And there are some people who are surviving on... I look at it as a banquet where there's entrees and fruits and cheeses and desserts and the Catholic Church is keeping all of the stuff on the table. There are people who are surviving on the um, on the, the cheese, you know, the hors d'oeuvres. Um, and you can survive on that. But it's not as easy as surviving on the salad and the bread and the entree and the dessert and the wines and everything. And, and it's a stupid metaphor, maybe. It's but, a good metaphor. But, you know, I, I think it's all Jesus' stuff. He gave all of the stuff, and so it's all saving. But he didn't give anything unnecessary in the sense that human life could be um, so much more, say, navigable um, and leading to beatitude uh, if we used everything that he left to its fullness. It's like, well, why are people in the Catholic Church still bad? Because most of the time we ignore or abuse um, or, you know, the stuff that, that we have in front of us. And um, I think we take it for granted. So um, having said that, that's how we're going to proceed here. It's, it's not that there isn't holiness outside the church. It's just, I think, harder. <laughs> you know? But the church is the fullness of truth is the, one of the central ideas here. Okay. Okay, um, we're going to talk about the Beatitudes and uh, as a way of beginning this process. Um, I love the idea of the Beatitudes um, because they're so absolutely counter. I mean, you want to lay out a program for Christianity. The Beatitudes are, are it, and they're so not what the world has to say or offer. And so if you really want to pick a synthesis of what it is to be a Christian, it's these eight things. And so um, I, I really think it comes down to this. Being Christian is not about being a nice person. It's about being a hero. It's about being a counter-culture hero, a counter-prevailing wind hero. So if you're not up for that, then, you know, this will be an interesting thing for you. But know that going ahead in the process is you are going to sign on to uh, a heroic life. And, and I need you not to think about all the people who are living it in a schleppy way. You know, um, as my friend Karen Hall says all the time, this is not a club we join for the members. <laughs> you know, the, the idea is that you stand alone uh, in front of God having had this invitation to live a radical, heroic life. And that's what the Beatitudes are. Um, so if you're just about getting along with people and being nice, 
then I think you know there's other religions that you might be happier in. This one is uh, it wants your mind, your heart, your soul, your your energy, your memory, your passion, your everything. Um, like there's no holds bar. There's no area that isn't supposed to be permeated by uh, Christ. And when St. Paul talks about the new man, in, in he, he means that you and Jesus come together and a new man is generated in all of its aspects, emotionally, psychologically, um, physically, um, you know, every aspect has got to be transformed. And this, these Beatitudes talk about the transformation. What I love is that just to start with the phrase, blessed are. Um, blessed has several senses, and um, you hear the Beatitudes variously translated as happy are they. So that's one sense. How, how happy are they who blank, 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 right? So, and, but the happiness is beatitude. What's beatitude? It's the beatitude is the vision of God in heaven. So that's the kind of happiness we're talking here. That, that you know, how much like being in heaven are the poor in spirit? You know? So there's one sense of the beatitudes, which is that. It's, it's the delight or the joy of the per person who does who does these things, or to whom, you know, um, who lives these things. So that's one way of looking at it. The other one is blessed as a gifted. So, you know, how blessed are the people who get presents on their birthday, right? <laughs> you know, how gifted are they who are poor in spirit or who are pure of heart? How gifted are they? And it's like um, the idea of this thing being not something you choose, but something that is given to you as a gift, that you were chosen to receive uh, these things. How gifted are those who are meek? Not those who choose to be meek. It, it's a great different way of, of kind of looking at the Christian life. The third sense is holiness. So we say, how blessed is someone, like Mother Teresa is blessed. And holy in the Bible, does anybody know what holy means, the word holy? Yeah, you know, it, it actually means separate. So um, when, the, um, when the prophet Isaiah had the vision of, uh, you know, God in heaven, he said, you know, holy, 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 he said, separate, separate, separate. The idea of separate, that, that God is the only thing that isn't connected nece by necessity to anything else. That he stands apart um, in, in himself, in his glory, in his, in his essence. Um, you know, that, that that's, what, that's what holiness is. It's separateness. It's in its, e its essence, yeah. Sorry, that's just one of the, the like big paradoxes. I know, like mm -hmm. in Hebrew, when you say something three times, it's like, yeah. like if you just say it twice, it's like an embellishment. But if you say it three times, it's infinitely. So, so I'm sitting here, it's like Isaiah saying he's infinitely separate, separate. I'm like, yeah. how is he so like yeah, self-communicating and accessible to us? Well, you, you know, know, it's so cool. I mean, that because of the choice, um, his choice to be, but that in, in his essence, he's the only thing that things is the only 
it. Other, so it's like a state of other than. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I, I think that separate seems a little like I mean, just just you know the word separate sure. is sort of uh, prejudice. I think other than mm. for me kind of defines it. Mm -hmm. You know. Yeah, I guess I'm thinking physical separation, uh, right, right, which right. is the irony of the yeah. incarnation. He's absolutely like, other. I mean, I love that yeah. too. That his way of thinking, processing right. is other. His way of okay. existing is other. His way being of being is other. You know, it's 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 not like anything we have or imagine. So everything we look at to kind of relate to God is not like that. You know, like we're like, well, it's like a father. Well, kind of, but not really. You know, it's like, it's the best we can do. I remember someone saying to me once, God really isn't love. And what they meant was, it was one of the nuns that I studied from, she's like, well, love is the best thing we can do that comes close to what God is, but our sense of love is not, doesn't define God. And yet it's the best thing we've got when we love in a pure, absolute, unselfish you know, um, self-sacrificing way. It's the closest thing we begin to get to what God is, but, you know, it's not, it doesn't define him. So um, I think this idea of, of separate, now the reason I'm putting it, pointing it out here is that those who are holy are separate, and that the Christian life will render you separate, other than the world around you. And it's not something to be shocked at. It is. It is. It doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. It means you're doing it. That you are other. You become other in this world. Um, there's a, a line that I love in a book called Walking on Water, which is a great book about being an artist from a Christian perspective by Madeline Lengel. And she says, if you don't live in such a way that, she said, it doesn't make sense, yeah, let me see, you're not a Christian unless you're living your life in such a way that it wouldn't make sense if there wasn't a Jesus. If there needs to be a missing thing in your life that, that, that the secular people would look at you and say, your life doesn't really make sense. Yes. Except that there's this, oh, well, if there's the Jesus factor, then it makes sense. If Jesus is true, then this life makes sense. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense to me. Most of us are not living that way, that otherness, but that's the life of the Beatitudes, okay? So the idea of the happiness of heaven, the idea of being gifted, and the idea of being holy are uh, the Beatitudes. Um, also, I want to say about the Beatitudes that, um, that, that this is from the Catechism, and it says that the Beatitudes are um, about the coming of the kingdom of God, so the Beatitudes are about what if God had things his way that everything would, how everything would unfold his relationship to us and our relationship to each other. They're also about seeing from the, pers the divine perspective. The Beatitudes are what God values, not from, so, so it's, it's his hierarchy as opposed to ours. Um, they're also about um, the, the joy of the Lord. What, what does God really rejoice in that we need to become also rejoicing in? And then finally, they're about what God's peace is so that we would then, um, that would be peace for us too. The problem is, and this is what St. Augustine says, evil is that the hierarchy is all out of whack. 
that, that in God's hierarchy, the creator, he's like, well, number 10 is the most important, and that's, you know, love of, of me and, you know, and you and all this stuff. And number 9 should be this thing, and number, you know, a love of others, and number 8 should be, you know, whatever, and there's the order of the universe. But that what's happened is that, you know, and love of gold is like number one, because gold is kind of cool, and God made it, you know, and love of animals is number two, and, you know, love of the planet is number three, etc. Well, Augustine says what's happened is that evil is that we love number two more than number nine. It's all out of order. The hierarchy that was established when the, the universe was created uh, is now, we're, we're just saying, well, we're not going to love that way. We're going to love this order. And that when, whenever we, he calls that a disordered love. And every time we love stuff outside of its place, we mess up. So the love of gold is for most people now number eight. You know, um, the love of friends is over, you know, or say your, yourself as you relate to your friends is over the love of God. Um, whatever, uh, you get the idea. Uh, so the um, the beatitudes are about us uh, getting um, the perspective correct. You know, th this is the life that we're headed for here. Okay. Um, okay, um, I'll quickly go down um, them, and uh, and then you know maybe you know feel free to jump in. But to give some of a Catholic sense of this life you're headed for now as a Christian, and um, this is what Christianity is. So the first one is blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's a couple things that I love about this, and my notes here are not going to be exhaustive. There are books and books written about the Beatitudes. It's just a few thoughts off the top of my head. Hmm? Um, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Well, the first thing I want to point out is this, that it's not for theirs will be the kingdom of heaven. It's that if you're poor in spirit, you are experiencing the kingdom of heaven now but that somehow the failure to, be, to live poverty of spirit prohibits you from enjoying the kingdom now. Uh, I remember at some point someone saying um, to me that, that the thing is you have all this stuff in your hands and then there's this thing you see that's really cool, but you can't reach for that because you've got all this stuff in your arms right now. And, and maybe it's like that, that, that God's thing that he offers, the kingdom of heaven, you just can't reach for it with all, without letting go of what you're holding now. And that's the trick, isn't it? Uh, and, and I don't just mean stuff like money and cars, but, you know, let's say relationships. You know, um, pride. Pride, yeah, pride. Sense of self. Image, yeah. I know, I know who I am, and and it's it's what we used to say in the convent. It's whatever your security is in that isn't God. So my security is in my intellect. It always has been. That I don't really care about stuff, money. I'm pretty good at if I want the world. My sister used to say, "You're very good at the world," you know. And it's like, yeah, if I need to, I can get a job and I can work and I can do all that stuff. That's never been my security. My security is in my processing, that I can be in control pretty much wherever I go by using my brain. I know where I stand. I know who I am. I can figure out who you are. 
uh, this is my security, my sense of self. So what would be the thing that must happen to me before I die? I must fall down the steps and get plunked on my head <laughs> and lose my ability to process because that's where my self-definition is. I am someone who thinks like this. And so until I can get past that, I'm never just re relying on God. And so my poverty of spirit would be in going, letting, you know, not being in control by using my brain all the time. You know, not choosing God because it makes sense to me. The Christian life to me is a matter of making sense. It, it makes absolute sense to me. So for me, like radical conversion is actually operating when something doesn't make sense. When I've lost that ability to figure it out. Um, now you have to think of what your security is in. Is it in a person? See, even a person, though, is too far out. It's what is it about yourself that you define yourself as? You're, you are someone who, what? You know, how do you define yourself? Because that's the thing that you have to let go or be willing to have transformed. I don't mean that it's going to be destroyed or lost, but I mean that, that the new man is you and Jesus together with that thing. But as long as you're keeping it for yourself, um, you're, you're, not being, you're not living a poor in spirit life. You are keeping your little reserve. Now, I think life is about, my mother has another great line. You're going to hear a lot of my mother's great lines, but we were raised by Maxim in my family, and um, it's a good thing. You know. uh, but my mother used to say, there's no U-Haul behind the hearse. <laughs> so the idea of poverty of spirit is to get to that point that you will necessarily be led to at the moment of death which is the absolute detachment from everything except yourself and then you bring to eternity that thing you're clinging to in yourself if it hasn't been transformed uh, but the idea of the detachment of, from everything, you know, poverty of spirit, to live the way your spirit will be forced to live. Um, and, and it's amazing how, uh, there's a book called The Great Divorce, which you should read, but it's Lewis's book about people on this dreary bus after death. And all the characters on the bus are like, there's a woman who's still attached to her son. My boy, what's he going to do without me? And she's dead but she still mentally, uh, she understands herself as this boy's mother. That's the relationship that defines her. That's she's needed, she knows who she is, and um, that's become the thing she's worshipped, that she worships, she defines herself by. So um, every character in the bus, though, is attached to something, and it's keeping them on the bus, which is purgatory. And the idea is to get off the bus and then rut, climb up to the heavens. You know. And what happens is the bus makes a stop and then all of the blessed come and plead with the people. And then they all say, well, I'm sorry, I have to get back to my job because I'm an important person. And then they get back on the bus. So that's the idea of you. How do you define yourself? What is, what is the thing that you are not willing to let go of? Your sense of yourself. And uh, there's definitely physical stuff because we are physical beings. You're not willing to, what are you addicted to physically? 
you know, is it relationships? Is it, um, you know, I need, um, I absolutely need to know that I have, in, have a health insurance plan. <laughs> That's one of my limits. <laughs> like, Jesus, I can go as far as you need me to as long as I have good dental and medical. <laughs> you know, and it tells me back. But that's like one of my boundaries. It's just, you know, and that's like a stupid little one, but you know what your boundaries are, okay? Um, any other comments about poverty of spirit? I guess I don't have to have tea next week. <laughs> <laughs> You're getting lit. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I think it's a different sense than just not having stuff, you know? It, it's the idea of living the way you will have to live. You can be attached to your poverty. I mean, if, right. if, mm -hmm. I mean, if, if it goes too far. It's, right. it's a type of worship. I mean, I mean, mm -hmm. richness of spirit is a, is a, is a type of I idolatry, right? the way I look at it. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, and having your little idols, whatever they may be, right. whether they, they be your pride or, or whether they, 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 they be your humility or, mm -hmm. you know, and it's, it's taking those and shoving them into a box and putting them away for a while, mm -hmm. you know. Because they're a part of you, <coughs> you know, but it is, you know, yeah. being poor in spirit, is, it, it's putting away and not really digging them out anymore. Yeah. I have an aunt whose thing is her independence. And that is her thing. And she basically was in a, 13, a family of 13 during the Depression and hated being anonymous that way. She hated being one of the group. And then, um, you know, got married and hated being married because she was, she didn't want to live connected to anybody and then she hated even her children in the sense that they were making demands on her so she like pushed these people away ended up getting a divorce her kids are alienated from her now she's 75 and she has terrible Parkinson's and she still she said to me once a couple of years ago I told myself my whole life that when I got old and afraid I wouldn't turn to God and I'm like, and how's that working out for you? <laughs> but see, it's a weird <coughs> thing where that's the thing, if she cannot let that go, the idea of being de in a dependent love relationship is the thing she's yearning for, but she will not let herself because it's, a, it's all her sense of self. I don't, she, she's afraid she wouldn't know who she is yeah. and, and that she doesn't know who that person would even be who would be saved. Oh, yeah. So, um, you know, that's, that's what I mean. Yeah. It's like an addiction to, to the, the richness of spirit. Mm -hmm. It is. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. how anything that you define yourself by. And then you're not blessed. And then you're not blessed. You're not happy. You're not, you're happy. not holy. Yeah. You know, you're not gifted. Yeah. 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 Because it's a gift to be able to know that this is not something on your own strength. It is a gift to be able to live poor in spirit. But it's the Christian ideal. And it's a gift that we get from being in proximity with the Son. And that's the point. It only becomes possible because he stands with us in this desire. Huh? Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Man, we've only done the first one, and we have. Um, can we go till 9.15? It's possible. Took a look. You got to get out? Yeah? No. Is it okay? All right. I'm sorry. Yeah. It, um, okay. Blessed are those who mourn. My sense of this one is, you know, how happy are they who mourn? That's what we call a tautology where two things which cannot be and not be at the same time, it's, a, it's called it's an, in, an innate philosophical contradiction. How can you be happy if you're mourning? But I think it's what, what would we, what does God mourn? And how happy are you if you mourn what God mourns? Mourning unto death, right? Mourning isn't just how, how bummed. <laughs> 
right? You know, it's, it's to uh, the death of something has died and that you would partake in the thing that has, in, in being sorry and sorrowing over the thing that has died. What does God mourn? Anybody? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think the the not living, to, not living out our nature. That He made us to be something. We have a place in the in the picture, um, in, as a group, but also individually. You know, the idea of He thought of you and made you because He fell in love with it. That thing He fell in love with, that image of you, um, and so it comes to be. That's the Christian sense of the human person. Um, and, and so then you have, well, but, but also humanity. You know, humanity um, had a, a, has a role to play, has a nature. You know, with Barbara Hall, uh, who's this Joan of Arcadia, I don't know if you noticed, but that's one of, the, one of the only things she got, I think, from me, but she put it in the show when God comes to Joan and he says, you know, she says, what, do you want me to go to church? And he said, no, I want you to fill out your nature. I want you to be what I made you to be. So what are the things that stop you from being what you were made to be? These are the things God mourns. Your fear, your pride, your, um, you know, your fear, your pride, your fear, your pride. I mean, they all come <laughs> down to that. Um, but, uh, you know, <laughs> you know. And then, of course, there's fear and pride. Yeah, yeah that's right, you know. Um, uh, but... I think that, that if you mourn the, the failure of mankind to be what it's supposed to be, merciful, uh, beautiful, um, worshiping, praising um, to each other, self, self pouring out of self, right? all these things that we were made to be for one another, for the world, for God, uh, that, that you would mourn those things. Like, how happy are you if you mourn what God mourns, because it means you're holy, you're you're gifted to be able to be sad at what He's sad about, um, and um, and you're happy, you share in His in in His vision, beatitude. Huh? Um, anybody else on on mourn? Happy are they who mourn? Can you think of anything else about mourning? Well, I think it's and that's really countercultural because. People, we call it depression, and people try to get rid of it. Mm -hmm. I mean, in some ways, when you're, I mean, mm -hmm. there's clinical depression that's biological, right. and right. I don't mean mm -hmm. that, but I mean when people are sad. Mm -hmm. The guy who came in and said he was bothered because he was just so sad. His twin brother had died two days before. He's like, I need to get out of this. I'm really bummed. My brother died. It's exactly it's exa what he said. Yeah. But in but there's a. How about like going with that? Yeah. yeah <laughs> you know, exactly. like, um, it's the correct response to uh, to a loss. And yeah. sorrow is the most appropriate response to a lot of what we see in the world. Right. Yeah. 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 yeah they true. call it appropriate sadness now. People have to learn <laughs> appropriate, appropriate sadness. sadness. It's not depression. It's yeah. appropriate sadness. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, it's actually it's a great definition, I believe, mm -hmm. because we are taught, well, you're yeah. depressed, and you need to get work through it. You need to. Yeah. Right. But, but you know, there are there there are sadnesses that are mm -hmm. are, are just so so crushing mm -hmm. that it is appropriate to be a sad and sad yeah. for a very long time. Yeah. yeah the state of the world, the state of, you know, whatever your situation is. So and, and in some I sense, a laugh is, in a mature person, a laugh becomes a whole other 
like really powerful reality because you have a gravity about you if you are aware of the things to be that need to be sad mm -hmm. around you, the appropriate sadness. So then a laugh is a moment of delight that's so intense that you forget the reasons to be grave, mm -hmm. and um, which is, uh, you know, beautiful. Uh, and you can't get that if you are mourning something that's not worthy. Exactly. Yeah. You're, you know, mourning, you know, loss of your status or your money. Exactly. These are not the things that God mourns. Right. Um, you know, he mourns the loss of righteousness. He mourns the loss of integrity. He mourns the loss of the hierarchy. You know, um, that's what he mourns. But, but your car is repossessed. It's not that big a deal to him. It's not something he would mourn about. No. What about the Red Sox? Uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> bringing it home. <laughs> you know, I can't bring myself to say God wouldn't mourn. <laughs> Talk about your security. But um, but then but notice this one: for they shall be comforted. This one is not in the present mm -hmm. tense. Whereas the other one, you if you're living poverty of spirit, you are living the kingdom. This one, it's a promise. If you mourn in on earth what God mourns, you will one day know comfort. It's not going to last forever. Um, okay, uh, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I got to be honest, I um, I never got this one, so I'm just going to skip. Ah. Right. <laughs> you know, you know um, when I was young, I was raised by a mother who said to us all the time, "I'm not raising sheep. I'm raising you to be women who are leaders." And so the meek thing to me um, was always a stumbling block. You know, I never got the idea of meekness. Uh, but then I remember once a professor saying that um, Christ was meek because it, he was um, the great, that, that ultimate meekness is the greater, knowing it's greater, bowing to the less because it's good for the less. Um, and that Christ in our midst, where he was God for us, because it was going to be good for us, um, allowed us to go first, allowed us to, um, you know, to, to d dispose of him, you know, and, and I'm not just talking the cross, but that meekness uh, is the ability to, for the good of the other, um, and it's not injustice, but for the good of the other to to uh, suppress even your own um, your own gift, say your own um, uh, you know superiority, say that that meekness is the conscious decision to not take what you might have, even unjustly, you know even with justice, and it is justice in God's. You know, God's justice is this weird combination of mercy. You know, and it's everything He does is just. So, so um, I mean, the idea of meekness is is a tough one in this world, especially where we are Christians. I think in a completely uh, secular culture, and you're like, what? One more being st we're going to be stepped on anyway. You know, we're being stepped on. We're being ridiculed. We're being you know, how can you be meek when they're ridiculing you anyway? Um, but it's the idea of knowing um, we're not really subject to ridicule. In, in, we're actually subject to 
honor and praise as Christians, as believers. What we believe is actually a better thing for the world. But knowing that, um, and then knowing at the same time that it's not to be forced, it cannot be forced on people. You know, meekness is um, is to submit yourself to those to whom you know are in some things lesser than you are, because it's better for them. And and um, think about that. I mean, it's a it's a really interesting um, dynamic when you're talking about being people of the book and the word, trying to spread the gospel. You're meek because they are um, not ready for the good thing. It would be a violation of their freedom. Um, in some ways. So, um, I don't know. Anybody else have something on that, an insight on the meekness thing? As I said, it's not my strong suit. I think sometimes um, it's about persistence, too. Because you, if you get thrown out of something because you are a Christian or whatever mm-hmm. is going on, you know, to you you need to be meek in order to go back if that's what they need mm-hmm. ra- rather than taking your pride and your fear right. and leaving um to 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 return which to rather than mm-hmm. in some kind of belligerent way but mm-hmm. even to remain sometimes or to tell somebody if they are erring in a way that's going to hurt them mm-hmm. that sometimes that requires a meekness mm-hmm. to it's like to be able to go to somebody and say to them mm-hmm. You are hurting yourself. Someone who's meek is consciously choosing to be, to serve people who don't necessarily deserve to be served uh, from a purely human standpoint. And that meekness puts itself at the service of those who should serve it. Right. And and so you're right. You know, the idea of, wow, what does that say about they've thrown you out, they've thrown you out, they've thrown you out, and now we have all of our lists. One more time, and that does it, right? Yeah. You know, I'm never going to put up with this again. They get, they've used me once before, like all of these things. But then meekness is someone calling you and saying, you know, I'd like you to be here. I need you. I'd love for you to, you know, and it's like they've used and abused me. Now, I'm not saying we're supposed to be carpets and subject to abuse. That's not what I'm talking about here. But I'm talking about total availability in the way of a servant towards these people. And the thing that makes it a virtue is you know they don't deserve it. But, oh, to, mm-hmm. but to what extent, though, is meekness also a sense that maybe they do? Maybe they do. And, and that's true. And yeah, it, it, that's that true. it's a sense of docility in mm-hmm. the sense that you're open to the way providence might be using mm-hmm. a particular person to, to instruct, even if by bad example. Mm-hmm. and. Yeah. It, um, it's yeah. lovely. It's a lovely point. Meekness yeah. is sort of a, a, mm-hmm. it's sort of a path to submission. Mm-hmm. Submission is a path to obedience. You can you can be a, a obedient warrior for God. So it, meek, meekness is an interesting, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the concept of meekness and the humility because it's even beyond humility. Yeah. Um, but it, I've always looked at it when, when studying the Beatitudes that it, it is a path to submission, yeah. <laughs> which is a path to true obedience. Yeah. And then obedience is like you know again in that cyclical mm-hmm. sort of philosophical way you're going from being meek and maybe being a, a carpet to you know standing there with a 
a sword and slaying the, the pagans is right. necessary. Because you you're know. serving them, and that's yeah. what's required. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That weird thing, but you yeah. have to kind of start mm-hmm. at meekness in order to... Right. Well, I mean, I think I love the, 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 I love the contrast between meekness and humility, because to me, humility is an inner disposition. Meekness is action. But the funny thing about it is it's an action that's a submission, yeah. you know, too. So, um, I, I, I mean, the idea of being meek in this culture is, an, is a real problem for us. Mm-hmm. How, how is it different than humility? Humility, humility is an inner disposition of knowing who you are and knowing who God is and knowing, you know, knowing the order of things, I think. You know, humility is having a sense of, um, of who you are and who God is. Meekness is an action. I mean, to be meek is to, is to me, it's, a, it's, a more, it's about the kind of actions that you're going to be taking. And, and, you know, it's my distinction, and maybe not, you know, really true. But, but to think of being meek, living meek, is not someone standing in a corner, but it's someone actually moving around as a servant in the middle of the world. And I love Father's point. It's not that you think of them as not deserving you or anything, it's that you know they deserve it because they're so cool. Like, that's why Jesus, you know, Jesus didn't do, go through being meek around us for some weird, you know, masochistic, you know, exercise. He did it because we're so cool. Mm. You know, he's in awe of us. Um, as beautiful, you know, because he, he had access to the thing that God saw that made him fall in love with us such that he made us. So that that God that Jesus was in love with that image, um, and you can't even go there. Yeah, you know, that's great. To that's understand great. that. I mean, that's, yeah. those are the unfathomables to me. <laughs> right. you know, I know. Of, of, of mm-hmm. Jesus, you know, seeing our our potential and and being mm-hmm. awed by and it. And awed, yeah. That Jesus, that meekness, the root of meekness is wonder about the other people around you. You're in wonder. And so that's why mm. you that's why you treat them the way you treat them. Um, like Thomas Merton's uh, yeah. can little epiphany on the corner of Fourth and Walnut. Remember, he looks around and he sees kind of people for at a moment the way God sees them. He says, "Don't they know they're all walking around shining like stars?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. right. Yeah, yeah this, I just wrote a screenplay about a saint who had the same experience. He was on a trolley car in the middle of Madrid, and all of a sudden, like everyone around him was transfigured. And he started to bawl on the on the trolley car, like he was so mm. struck. But he, for a second, had this vision of each human being and all of its distracted going home in the day, but it yet being so cool and beloved, and um, and just wanted to. And he was 24, and he was like, you know, my life to serve them, uh, you know, from that place. Mm. So, um, you know, happy are you if you live in awe of the beauty of people. Holy are you um, and gifted are you if you can perceive that beauty no matter how much it's besmirched and especially by your own agenda. Um, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I'm going to move faster here because I said I'd be done at 9.15 but I'm going to use a great, what is it to hunger and thirst for righteousness? Righteousness again is the correct order where th- things should be loved according to their desert, according to what they really, in their nature, deserve to be loved. Blessed are you if you hunger and thirst for that. There's a great story of um, an Eastern um, guru with his disciple. Uh, some, you know, I got this from, uh, I forget, anyway, some spiritual book I read. But anyway, so the disciple said to the master, um, you know, teach me how to pray. 
and he said, well, you won't be able to pray really until you learn to thirst for God. And um, the guy's like, yeah, right, right, right. Well, teach me how to pray. Teach me how to pray. So finally, the master takes him out to a lake and says, I'm going to teach you how to pray. He says, you have to trust me. He's like, sure. So he puts his hand in the guy's hair, and then he pushes him under the water. And he holds him there. And the guy's like, all right, you know, this is interesting. And then, okay, <laughs> okay, and starts to struggle and wrestle against this iron hand holding him under the water. And claw and struggle. And finally... The guy lets him up, and he says, until you long for God the way you longed for air, you will not really be able to pray. <laughs> um, I want to say that the idea of longing that way for righteousness um, in your own life, I'm not talking about world peace here. I'm talking about that until it, you are that, you know, that that's what beatitude is. It's to long, to hunger and thirst for yourself to be in sync where your desires are in, are in their correct um, ordered state, where you, where you love things the way you should. To hunger and thirst for, for balance and for, for you to be a person of mercy and, and joy and, and you know, all of the stuff we're supposed to be. Righteousness. Um, that if you could get to the point where you long for yourself to live that life, you want to be that person, uh, then, you know, how holy are you? How blessed are you? How gifted you know, are you? Um, how happy are you? Okay. Um, blessed are you who are persecuted because you do that. So this is like the next whammy. <laughs> you think that's a thrill. Um, but but to be set apart as someone who is, uh, the scriptures say, how obnoxious to us is the just one. Um, there's, a, there's a messianic passage, which is that they, you know, that the, 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 the men stood around and they, they said how obnoxious to us is the just one, because he reproaches us for violations of our teaching. And it refer, refers to Christ. Um, but I think that there are people, if you think about it, how obnoxious to us are people who really remind us of what righteousness is <laughs> when we don't necessarily want to hear it. Again, I'm not talking about Saddam Hussein. Doesn't have, we don't have to go that far away. It can be in our own world and life. So happy are you if um, by your life you actually really merit someone to be furious with you because you remind them of what they're supposed to be. You know, if, you, if and I mean authentically merit, you know, then... You become a target. Yeah. If, if, and, and I'm not talking about your, you know, any kind of stupid pride thing, or I'm going to witness to him yeah. and all this crap. I mean that you actually living a, a, a humble, meek, Godly, merciful life. Yeah, that you irritate and people, um, some people, into ugh, distraction. Yeah. Um, and I love this one. Oh, you know, I've been leaving out the second parts here. Uh, for they shall see God. Oh, we didn't do. Oh, no, I didn't get there yet. I left out the peacemakers. I left out the pure of heart. Man, I jumped right through. Sorry. Um, blessed are the pure of heart. There's another way that this is. Blessed are he. Blessed are they who have one heart. Oh. Is another translation. Okay. Blessed are the single-hearted. 
Uh, that means there there is one thing mm. that you love, the good, the true, the beautiful. And um, you are not fragmented. Mm. Blessed are you, because then you will see God. Not again, you know, it, it, like that's the process. If you love the true, the good, and the beautiful, you, you're seeing God in, with an undivided heart. Um, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. These are people who, we used to say in the convent, if there is one person in a house who is able to remind people of the glory that is in them, that house can be a heaven. That's what a peacemaker is. Someone who reminds others of who they really are, of their nature. That's what a peacemaker does. You're better than that. You are so cool. You are such a fair... You have such a good heart. You amaze me because you're so strong. You, know, you have so much energy and passion for, for, um, for beauty, for whatever. You know, like to be that person who makes peace by willing, by seeing and then willing this beauty of, uh, that others have in them. Um, and they will be called children of God. People will say, uh, that's what God does. When you come in proximity to God, you are reminded of who you are. A peacemaker reminds us of who we really are. Um, okay, and uh, finally we have the last one. The great, great, happy, happy, <laughs> thrill one. <laughs> How happy are you when men revile you? And yeah, we don't have time for Persecute that. you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. Notice it's not because you deserved it. <laughs> On my... I got that one down. Right. <laughs> you know. On my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Um, the life of the Beatitudes, this person that I've just described, which should be one that everyone loves, is actually a path to the cross. And there is the contradiction. This should be a person that would be the per personality contest winner. Instead, it leads people to persecute you uh, because um, this is not uh, <coughs> this is not the kingdom of God. So that's what you got holding ha hang, hanging over your head there. Blessed are you when men revile you uh, for His sake, though, on His account. Mm. I've only had that happen once in my life or I really, actually twice, I had someone spit on me once, but I don't really deserve anything. I was just walking in Louisiana, and um, a man rolled down the truck window and saw me and spat on me. I was in my habit as a nun. And I could truly say at that, I mean, I started to cry because it was so demeaning um, and dehumanizing. It had nothing to do with me personally, but then I realized, wow, I actually have just <laughs> <laughs> represented God to someone and they spat on me. I took the brunt, you know, there was that. But, um, but then one other time, I actually did something that I, I knew I had to do because it was the right thing to do. And I took, I actually had, I had people actually twist it to be all of these dark, um, nasty, evil things. And uh, 
I was like, wow, I actually did one in my life. Only took 41 years. <laughs> but, um, you know, it, it's uh, unfortunately most of the persecution that we receive, we receive because we have not been living the life of God. But there it is. So there you go. I'm going to end with this line. The Beatitudes depict the face of Jesus Christ. They express the vocation of the faithful associated with the glory of his passion and resurrection. They shed light on the actions and attitudes that define the Christian life. They are the paradoxical promises that sustain hope in the midst of tribulation. Beautiful. You're going to love reading the Catechism. The language is gorgeous. So that's a journey we're on now. Um, everything we're going to do over the next nine months is to lead us to being these things in a more committed, complete, obsessive way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and it's a great thing. I can't think of anything nobler. Mm-hmm.